My dream is to go much further than that. I think reproducibility is an enormous thing. And what I want to do is I want researchers to be able to, with one command, encapsulate their entire experiment, hand that to Kubernetes, and Kubernetes instantiates it into whatever, a kubeflow. The entire point was just to give people, using the declarative frameworks we already had, a way to roll out uh, an entire pipeline. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm your host, Michael Chenitz. And today we have David Aronchik. Did I pronounce that right? I know I probably messed that up really bad, but go ahead. No, you're you're very close. Aronchik. Aronchik. See, that's, see, you never know where to pronounce it. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People always mess up my name. And it's, you know, it's is it Chenitz? Is it Cheney? Is Absolutely. it, you know, so, I, you know, I'm there with you. Um Anyway, I'm very happy and excited to have you on. You are one of the co-founders of Kubeflow. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And also, you have a new company. And what's the name of the company? Uh, so the company name is called Expanso, and it's the backer for the open source project called Bacalhau, uh, which is very hard to pronounce. It's a Portuguese word that means COD. And um, it's uh, the reason we call it, it, it's got that name is because COD is the abbreviation for compute over data, which is. Yeah, that's a good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later in the show. But really, let's start out like, where did you start? What, what, what makes you you? You know, what did you do in the past that you got to this? You know, yeah. <laughs> let's break it down. No, I appreciate that. You know, it's uh, it's crazy because I didn't, I, I would never have thought of myself as landing here, to say the least. Um, uh, I did, uh, you know, way back in the day, I wanted to be a doctor. I got into med school, and and uh, I just happened to fall in love with with technology along the way. Uh, I got a an engineering degree or a software engineering degree at night school, and like ended up not going to med school at all. So, um, uh, I've been doing both consumer and enterprise my entire life. Um, I, you know, um, uh, did work at, at Microsoft. I, this, uh, did a bunch of startups before that were much more consumer facing. Uh, and now I'm back in, in the enterprise world. And, and the most recent angle of my life was, uh, I was lucky enough to be the first non-founding PM for Kubernetes at Google. So I led that project for uh, three years um uh including launching their their hosted version uh it was there i also started uh or co-founded uh kubeflow um and uh then i went to work at microsoft in the office of the cto and uh now i'm back out doing another startup again so at when you first of all there's so much to unpack there so <laughs> so you know um little known a uh, solution called kubernetes that is uh semi popular these days so what was that like? What was it like being on that team that was like, you, did you even know you had something? Did they, did they know? No, they not at all. So a uh, really funny story is um, uh, I actually had the job uh, to, to lead Kubernetes about nine months before I took it. Um, and uh, I ended up going to work at Chef uh, at the time. And uh, Chef is a terrific company. And, yep. and um, uh, you know, I, I knew the team there and, and at the time, Kubernetes, I was like, oh, I don't know what this Kubernetes thing is. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we all forget, but but in 2015, Google had really only had a couple of really, they, they were very big, make no mistake, but they only had a couple of open source projects um, uh, that they had like released to the world. It was very much still an in internal company. And, um, you know, I just, I 
I had been at big companies before and I'd worked at Amazon and worked at Microsoft. And I was like, I, you know, I'd love to try the experience of growing something from, you know, kind of 10 million a year in revenue to 100 million a year in revenue. And Chef very, very much felt like, like that was the world. So I had the job and it was just completely unknown what this thing was. Docker, you know, was still finding its way. Kubernetes literally hadn't had a 1.0 release yet. Uh, I'm going to go do this, Chef. You know, after a few months, uh, Chef ended up seeing an opportunity to do an acquisition. And um, there was some like, you know, I was like, oh, wow, that, this acquisition, it kind of changes the direction of the company. I'm not sure I'm like in love with this. I went back to the folks at Google and, um, uh, you know, we ended up uh, talking there and, and uh, the job was still available. And so by that time, like I, uh, you know, it got more traction, but it was still really complicated. And I mean, you could argue it's still really complicated to this day, but but there wasn't, there was just no clarity. It was just like, oh, we see there's this opportunity for the world to move to containers. Docker is is doing this amazing work in container runtimes and so on. Uh, let's help all these people who want to like create portable workflows um, do what they want to do. And and so that that was the mission then. It was it is the mission now. It will be the mission in the future. It just so happens that at the time, Google was really lucky because they're like, well, we don't, you know, it's okay that this stuff is open source because we're going to do it with nothing more than the motivation than to help people move to the cloud, help people make their workloads portable. And so, you know, that that was the mission of the entire effort. Yeah, it's funny. I, th I think we've moved so far the other way, though. It's like, you know, now everybody thinks about the platform first, which is like, yeah. hey, we need a we need to containerize this. Well, why? What do you need to do? What's, yeah. what's, you know, not the aspects of the application and what, what they need to consider. It's, you know, yeah, people are containerizing, I, you know? <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I think there's so. Um, uh, what, what I will say is that, that, uh, you know, choosing anything, choosing a technology should never be done in a vacuum, right? It should yep. always be anchored on some form of customer need. Yep. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of things that ha that I learned, you know, on taking on this project, which are really interesting. So internally to Google, right? Literally 100% of things work on containers. Actually, that may be a little bit of an overstatement, but it's it, it's well north of 99% of things work inside a container. And, and you're kind of like, well, why? It's not because everyone's in love with containers, but because it gives you a declarative way to roll a job out. It gives you a portability construct so you know all the dependencies that you need when you move them from A to B. Um, uh, gives you uh, the ability to migrate in a much easier way. It, instead of this now being an arbitrary set of processes across the entire operating system, you can say, I'm just going to take this one process, which has all these children underneath it, and move it over there. So there's a lot of things that are really, really powerful. And, and, and they all come down to this idea that like, hey, I can declare exactly what my workload is and push it into this environment and it will take care of everything for me. You can absolutely solve that with other tool chains and other packaging systems and things like that. Um, there aren't many out there that, that are as complete as, as a container plus you know, an orchestration system like Kubernetes, but you can do it. It just means you're taking on a lot more work. So what I would say is, sure, it's not important to say, well, we need to containerize it, but you do need to have an answer of when this machine goes down, it, not if, when this machine goes down, how do you move it? When, not if, you need to upgrade the machine, how do you upgrade it? 
when, not if, you need to have multiple versions of this. How do you version it? How do you roll it over? How do you this? How do you that? All that stuff you get for free-ish uh, um, with containers and everything else you, you often have to think about. Yeah, so what's your opinion on whether things are getting too complex though? Is there too many different projects around in the CNCF? Is there too many things you have to consider? Are there too many things to maintain? There's service meshes, there's CNIs, there's yeah. all these things that you need. I will be honest. I, I do think that the, the, a lot of this ends up coming down to the specifics of, uh, you know, what optionality do you really need, right? Mm -hmm. So when I think the CNCF is enormous, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Um, uh, many of these things, these interfaces and choices and things like that, are built with the idea that that. Uh, well, I'm, I want an optionality. Okay, how do I do it over there? Eric, here are 17 different ways to do it. So as long as have all those 17 ways go against uh, the CNI, for example, the container network interface, like then I can swap in whatever I'd like. Well, that may not be necessary. Like, do you really <laughs> need like seven different or you know overlay networks? No, you probably don't. You probably could pick one. And a lot of times that will give you um, uh, speed because you're not like having to understand all the options and frameworks and things like that. Um, um, that said, uh, if you ask me, if I'm starting on a new project and I start to run into some new area, um, uh, I'm, I'm more likely than not going to choose an existing framework to do it. Not because I want, I'm expecting to swap it out, but because there are so many problems you just don't think about um uh along the way and so you take again you take something like kubernetes like uh boy how hard is it to spin up two docker containers not that hard but how do i get them to network how do i get them to have a declarative way to roll them out how do i you know track updates and all that kind of stuff the fact that kubernetes gives me all that for free means like geez that's a lot of stuff and and those are immutable things that i'm going to have to do so I don't have a great answer for you. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the I will say, if you're a developer today, you are going to be assaulted with, you know, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of choices uh, yeah. for any given thing. Almost all the documentation, almost all the blogs, almost all the everything are completely out of date. I would build, uh, you know, against a uh, choose a platform that you like that makes sense for your needs, as small as it possibly can. Uh, don't, you know, don't choose Kubernetes, choose whatever K3S or something like that. Something as small as you can, but that addresses the immutable things that you're going to have to do. Like there is no question you're going to have to do a rolling upgrade of your application. How are you going to do that? Are you going to have to build your own app? Or are you going to have to do something else? Whatever. Choose those things along the way. And only when you run into a problem two, three, four times, it's the same problem. Do you like begin to page up to a new framework? and go from there. But uh, like I said, I, you know, because I've been wor working on Kubernetes so long, I, I just, I wouldn't imagine like choosing something else um, because it solves so many problems for me. But I, I'm well aware that like, you know, the first thing you face is is a whole lot of challenges. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, I think about the, the new person coming in and and what they have to do because they're, if you're a new developer yeah. and you're thinking about, hey, I'm gonna design this for a container and you're like, well, Think of all the assets you have to create. And, and even in like a, like if you pick even a 
let's say a JavaScript framework, you know, like, like node or something like that. You want to have those things in certain folders. You want to, there are best practices for those. Absolutely. You want to make sure that you have, once you build it, you know, where do you put that asset? Where does the container go? What kind of mounts do you need? What kind of, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you think about. Uh, I haven't used it in years, but, but uh, the, I really, really, really loved Rails for this. The whole. Yeah. yeah. I used to love Rails. Configuration. Yep. I, yep. there was a lot I didn't love about Rails. Um, uh, Primarily was there was so much magic, like especially when you started to get into stuff like Active Record and so on. Like it was just yeah. like, what are you talking about? This this uh, this function is available to me. It was just like it, the, the the surface area of available things was so big that it was like it was genuinely like hard to know what what I was engaging with. But that said, like the fact that you know you could um, uh, what was it Rails skeleton or something like yep. that. There was a thing where it was like. <laughs> You created this like thing, and it told you like your files go here, and your this goes this, and you, yep. whatever. Like that yep. was amazing. I, I don't mean to badmouth an entire ecosystem. I hate people who like shit on you know whatever um, uh, ecosystem generally. I personally am like so confused with the JavaScript ecosystem. It, 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 it I, like, I'm with it you. Just, <laughs> it makes me weep. Like I just what am I supposed to use? What am I supposed to build? Why do I need to build all these things like into a package at all? Like, shouldn't that yep. be a compiler's function? Why do I need 17 versions of these? You know, wh what framework do I need to use? Why does my CSS dictate like what I'm going to like code in, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I just, yep. it is not my coding style. It is not my anything. It makes my brain hurt. Yeah. Um, no, that's it. Yeah. And I think I could use more convention, to be honest with you. But yeah, but I mean, to I, me, I'm, I'm not cheating on the ecosystem. I know there are many people who work really, really hard at it. I'm an old school. You know, when when I was in in high school, they taught Pascal and C and all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. so, so I come from that background. So so things like Go and and those things make more sense to me, because I, I'm not a front end developer. So I could do anything in back end. You can give me back end all day. I can't do it. Like yeah, yeah. I I know that I'm I'm in the, in the minority by a mile here, but I I, I love strongly typed languages. I yeah. love compiler errors. I love linter errors. Like it just, you know, you end up, sometimes you end up doing a little dance to make the thing happy. But like, I'm telling you, the, the, the value you get from convention is so big. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's why people love Rust. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So going, going fast forward a little bit in your journey there, how did this whole Kubeflow thing come about? Because you, were you guys like banging your head saying, there is no good way to orchestrate this stuff, to get this stuff set up, to do this AI, you know, workload or ML, I should say. And, you know, so, so what actually occurred that, that. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly it. I was, uh, I was at Google. I had been working on Kubernetes for years and, and uh, I wanted a new challenge. I, I you know, it, this is uh, 2017, 2018, 2017 or 2018. It's been a while. Um, and, uh, I was saying to folks like, Hey, look, we should really like Kubernetes has this wonderful declarative framework for, for spinning this stuff up. And I would go to, to senior, senior researchers inside Google who would, who would basically tell my story for me. Like I would meet with them and they'd say, well, you know, I, I was having problems last night cause I couldn't reproduce the experiment that I was, you know, ran last year because the versions of Python changed or this changed or that changed, you know, this dependency tree changed. I was like, but we, we have this, we can solve for this. This is what, 
you know, uh, Kubernetes salsa. And they're like, all right, go build it. And, and no one like, so I just started and, and I found, um, Jeremy Levy out of uh, uh, who had already built a, a CRD for Kubernetes uh, just for TensorFlow, but but he had already built it. Uh, and then uh, Vish, uh, who was on the Kubernetes team working on uh, GPUs, and the three of us together just were like, let's throw something on the calendar here. Uh, we threw a, uh, a talk at KubeCon uh, on the calendar and uh, built basically, you know, did conference-driven development until we launched this thing you know, 0.1. Awesome. Um, and, and the entire mission of it was to do exactly what you said. It was to make setup easy, but it was also to give you a declarative framework to say, here's a YAML or whatever. Yep. It, I, we chose YAML because that was Kubernetes. I like YAML. I'm not one of the yeah. YAML haters. I hate Jack yeah. Jason. I like YAML too. <laughs> I, I don't like closing quotes and things like that. Yeah. I like using white space. Yeah. Um, but regardless, give me something, a configuration file that declares all the components that I want to deploy as part of an ML pipeline. And that'll be the start. My dream is to go much further than that. I think reproducibility is an enormous thing. And what I want to do is I want researchers to be able to, with one command, encapsulate their entire experiment. That includes, here was all the history of the experiment. This is the Jupyter Notebook. This was the data I used. Everything gets a hash, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, all the way down to this is the specific version of CUDA that I used, like encapsulate all of that, hand that to Kubernetes and Kubernetes instantiates it into whatever, a Kubeflow uh, or again, whatever it might be. Uh, but that was it. The entire point was just to give people using the declarative frameworks we already had a way to roll out uh, an entire pipeline um, with ideally the experiments uh, built in. That's pretty cool. I mean, that, that's a, that's amazing because it's so, it must make you proud that it's so used in these it, days. It, <laughs> it, it, it does and it doesn't. Um, uh, I will say like, um, you know, Google, you know, got caught up like everyone else uh, in the past few years of like, hey, we have this, uh, uh, you know, everything is going to be API driven. Like really spinning out ML is not a thing. Organizations just want to like, you know, use an API to get like objects in a image or whatever it might be. Eh, they really don't. Like they do, they want the simplicity of an API. But at the end of the day, they get to this point where they're like, well, you know, all right, I, I know you have this detection for trees, but we really want it for cars and the performance on trees is terrible. So we need to retrain it. And oh, by the way, you have this entire convolution layer that we don't need now that we're not trees anymore. So can we drop that and like cut our training time by a third? And you can't do that with an API, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, you know, APIs are very, very, very expensive. Um, I still think that there is a massive opportunity here uh, around Kubeflow and, and whatever, like, again, setting aside what we built, I, I love it to death, but like just a declarative framework that is as easy to deploy and use as an API, but gives you, you know, it's a white box that you can look inside, um, uh, and, you know, tweak around what you need to. Most people won't need to, but if you do, here's, here's the leverage to do it. Uh, so, uh, again, we uh, I love it. I love the community. Uh, we just got accepted itself into the CNCF as an incubation, so I'm very proud. Um, but I'll say that um, uh, there's still so much uh, opportunity out there is, is what I'll say. 
Yeah, I would imagine, and I, I don't know if it already does this, so it could already do this, but I would imagine that one of the functionalities you would want in that these days is to tell it where to run. So do you mm -hmm. want to run things at the edge? Do you want to distribute it? Do you want to run it, you know, for, for modeling over here, but then distribute it somewhere, you know? So I guess there's other things that you would want to add to it these days that kind of would make it. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's there the one of the problems is today people munch together ML into a single bucket, but it's yep. really let's call it three buckets, right? There's the data bucket, yep. like I need to uh, uh, collect, gather, clean my data, sanitize it, uh, transform it, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's my training bucket, where like I'm gonna build models that that I use, and I'm gonna have to tweak those a million times and make sure that you know, I'm, I'm using all best practices, create artifacts, create S-bombs and things like that so that I can uh, trace it in the future. And then there's take the output of that model and move it into inference. Uh, each one of those need declarative frameworks uh, for how you did, you know, laid down the infrastructure, laid down the pipeline on top of that, or the components on top of that infrastructure, and then, then actually executed the thing. Um, Kubeflow you know, at the start would get very caught up in like trying to bridge two things. It really is a training thing, to be honest with you, right? Um, uh, there's a company I'm a, an advisor to, OctoML, which is doing amazing work taking the outputs of things like Kubeflow and compiling them into very specific hardware profiles um, so that they can run on the edge. Uh and um, that's a you know really hard problem. Like, okay, exactly how much memory does this have, and what kind of performance are you willing to sacrifice, and so on and so forth. So, you know, um, uh, my my new project back at Yao is is kind of designed to solve on the data side, but also solve on the HTML side. Uh, but if you try to get a solution, anyone out there trying to you know implement an ML solution, I cannot advise more strongly that the, you really should be treating these things. Uh, separately as three different efforts with, um, uh, call it, uh, uh, you know, an S3 bucket separating them. Like if, if you're doing anything more intelligent than having an S3 bucket pass from, you know, A to B, uh, you're probably doing too much and you're going to cause some like weird dependencies down the line. So, yeah, I mean, talking about this, this, how did you get into this new realm of uh you know what 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 got you into this new venture that you're doing yeah, now? Yeah. What's, the, what's the origin story for sure for sure so um uh i mean the origin really was interestingly you know 2015 working on kubernetes you would look you would look around and you'd say well geez you know all these machines have data associated with them the machines are spread all over the place multiple zones multiple regions multiple clouds like, shouldn't we have something that layers over the top of all of these things so that I and SRE can go and engage with these things in a interactive way, same kind of declarative API, same kind of everything. Um, and, you know, we had a project way back when, uh, uh, if you want, for, for those digging up, I, um, uh, it's called the uh, Ubernetes. So Kubernetes, but without the K, uh, a cute name, I didn't come up with it. Um, but it was the idea that you have a Kubernetes that sits over the top of many Kubernetes. Okay. Um, but even then, that doesn't that that's still within the Kubernetes world. Like what what you really want is something that that a understands that data can be a place to schedule to. Oh, I want to go to where this this uh, 
uh, service endpoint is, or I want to go to where I've now collected, you know, a terabyte of video, or I want to go to uh, this restricted uh, financial institution that doesn't allow its data to leave it. And I want to execute this job. So that's kind of one scheduling against it. Uh, two is, um, uh, you know, being able to do a bunch of things uh, on premises or whatever it might be across all of these various regions and so on and so forth. And then three, taking the same kind of declarative scheduling constructs and pushing them out exactly like you said, to the edge, cross cloud, cross region. So I can take this model and say, hey, you know what? I wanna now run this model on every base station out there in the world if you're a telco or uh, on every VM if you're a, a web company that has things in three different zones or whatever it might be. There's all these sorts of things. And so what we want with Back at Yao is to take on those challenges to say, hey, you know what? There are plenty of platforms out there that solve for if I'm running everything inside a single Kubernetes, Spark, Hadoop, so on and so forth. They're all great. We are not replacing them. We are the platform that goes across them. And if once you're inside a single zone, we can talk to that that particular platform. But like if you want to work across, you know, zones and regions and so on, you know, we hope that we're the platform for you. So how does that actually work? Do you actually run something locally? How does it get there? What is the mechanism? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, for sure. So we have an agent. The agent is super low cost. It, all it does is it talks to other nodes in the network in a peer-to-peer -peer way. And it is highly resilient to bad networking situations, right? If you have a network, it will go down. Not, again, uh, not when, it, or not if, when. It's going to happen. It will partition, there will be slowness, there'll be latency, there'll be whatever. Yep. Most platforms today assume a very high, uh, highly reliable throughput from the control plane to the individuals. What we do is we built an entire peer-to-peer -peer set of agents and the network then figures out what to do. So it says, oh, you've given me this job. It's a, uh, our, our, our uh, job description looks very similar to Kubernetes. Um, uh, it's not the same because Kubernetes has some other requirements, but it's pretty close. It's a YAML file or whatever. You hand it to us and you say, I would like this job to run against this data or run against this label or run in this region or run whatever. Go figure it out. And then we schedule across the entire network. And we say, hey, you know what? We don't see this label, but you gave us a 20-minute timeout, so we'll hang on to it for you. And it'll sit in our queue. And the moment that this label appears, the moment that this VM appears or this zone resolves or the split brain resolves or whatever it might be, we're going to push down the job description to that agent to anything that matches that label. And it can this could be a partial thing. It can be a complete thing. Again, it's up to you to dictate. Once it gets there, it either, like on those VMs or on those edge devices or whatever, it either pulls down a container or runs a WASM or runs a binary that you already have locally. So it really is up to you to run whatever you like. But we give you a reliable way to run that job, either a batch or, or long running mode or whatever you like, uh, and then tell you, here it is, we've pushed it down, you can query the network, you know exactly what's going on, even in these highly distributed places. So it kind of sounds a little bit like a service mesh with an orchestration layer on top of it, almost. It's not not unlike it. Uh, the one thing that I'll say is um, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, we try to invent as little as possible here. So if you show up and already have a service mesh, great. We'll just reuse that. Uh, with that, that that's the one requirement. 
we do require that, well, you have to be able to run our agent, which, you know, is highly flexible, run all the way down to Raspberry Pis and on Lambdas and whatever, right? Uh, we run everywhere. But your nodes have to be able to see each other somehow. Uh, so it's up to you to figure that out. You could have VPN connectivity, you could have a bastion node, jump box, whatever you like. But somehow that the we need to be able to talk to things uh, uh, between each other within the network. By the way, uh, this could all be on-prem and completely air-gapped. That's fine too, but then your network will be restricted to the nodes that can see each other. But ultimately, you're not wrong. Uh, orchestration plus service mesh is pretty close. So, so we've talked a little bit about what it does. What do you see the use cases for this? What do you yeah. want, like? Why would people want to use this? What does it give you? What's the advantage? So um, what I like to say is if you have more than about 10 nodes uh, and are producing more than about... 10 gigabytes of data on a regular basis, you're probably already running into these problems, right? And these problems are, my data is too big, I have regulatory issues, my network is too small, my network is unreliable, and so on. Um, scenarios we already see people using us are things like for log pre-processing. You know, let's say you have raw logs on a VM or something like that, uh, and you want to do some processing or push events or emergencies and things like that, we can help with that. Uh, let's say you want to take a large file like an ML model and push it down to the edge or cross zone or cross region. Again, that's hard to do. You, the models are large. They're hard to get there reliably. They're hard to like know they got there reliably. Again, you can build all this yourself, but why not use a platform like ours? Uh, let's say you have a distributed fleet of VMs, IoT, edge devices, or data warehouse that you want to query all simultaneously. You can submit that query to us and we can uh, run a SQLite query or DuckDB query at the point of all this data and get you results for all of those things. Uh, pulling it back, all the raw results, and then you can reduce it or do whatever you'd like with those kind of things. But basically anything where you know, you're no longer in a single zone and you have something where it gets a little bit too unwieldy to write a bash script with SSHs in it, you know, we're a great fit for you. That sounds really neat. I mean, I can I have I have uh, thoughts in manufacturing and, and industrial and, and all these other kinds of things that you can use that for. That would be amazing. I mean, because that's the the key aspect is that you have a you know you have a, maybe even a single command, but you have to send it to thousands of nodes. Exactly. Exact exactly. Thing. And and that's been one of the biggest challenges. Like, it, it, so you have the experience. Like most people, and and I went through this with VCs. All of them were great and like very nice. And we had you know ton, uh, very very elegant process. Actually, uh, I want to really credit everyone I talked to. But like uh, the number of times I heard in these VC meetings where they're like, "What, what are you talking about?" Like, um, if you're running on Am, like they would say, oh, "Well, does this work on Amazon?" I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. You you would definitely need this on Amazon." They're like, "Why? You know, like it's Amazon. Like, aren't all the Network's going to be able to talk to each other, and I was like, "You obviously haven't, you know, I done this on done this on Amazon, and and that's for every cloud, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the networks fail. That is like yep. put like you might as well like put that into gold print. The 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 you have either seen this happen and immediately know that this is a great problem or great solution for a problem that people really run into all the time, or you've never had this you know problem happen." Yeah. And uh, if you've never had this problem happen, it, it, there's like an entire education process to say like, geez, you know, 20 machines. It doesn't seem like very many. Like, why can't I, why can't I run a for loop in a bash script again? I'm like, 
Doctor says, well, you'll, you'll come. You go have a good time. Uh, you'll be back. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, no, that's so true. And and like you, you know, I worked for the CTO office for cloud and compute. So, you know, I understand the problems that people are having here. And I, I work for a networking company, so yeah, I understand yeah. a lot of this stuff. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, just to shift gears a little bit, we've talked about a lot here. We've talked about a little bit about, you know, Kubernetes. We've talked about a AI um, and in terms of Kubeflow, I should really say ML. Um, you know, and, and we've talked a little bit about your new solution. What yeah. do you, what do you see kind of, you know, these are a lot of different areas, but they're kind of related. Like, where are we going with all of this stuff? You know, there's, there's a lot of AI coming into play. Obviously everybody's trying to figure out the AI angle. There's GPT now, and there's LLMs, there's, there's all these different things. What do you think the, like, where's the next evolution? What's the next big thing? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, well, so you, you bring up a couple of different things here, which I yeah, think yeah. are critical. Um, I'll tell you what what I know is my is my fundamental driving force, and and this has been what I wanted to solve for for ten plus years uh, is reproducibility. Uh, it's funny, I'm just total coincidence because I was on the phone with with some folks who I think are in stealth, so I can't tell who they are. But yeah. uh, I'm very excited for them uh, to to make some distance here. But reproducibility is the thing, and I think it's one of these things that is, uh, you know, going to hurt us in software for ages, just ages. And the problem is, is that you know there's so many dependencies and things like that that are very hard to articulate. Um, uh, that that we need to get to in order to really move forward as a society. And, and and interestingly, the AI and ML discussion, it's kind of much worse than it is better, right? Like if I go and ask the same thing of, uh, you know, your ML model of choice 10 times, I'm going to get 10 different answers, right? Um, and there's no real, you know, white box as to why. Um, so the lack of that reproducibility is a huge, huge, huge problem. But one of the biggest problems is that we're just not accepting the fact, or we're not like recognizing where the problems are. And it's very easy to get lost. Um, so, you know, the comment I was bringing up earlier is like, you know, last week I was working on some JavaScript code and, and, uh, it turned out that one of the, like I, I had downloaded where, you know, we had a, uh, a package lock, um, uh, pack, you know, file. So theoretically everything is reproducible, but it turns out that like some subversion of node was not captured in the file. And, and it was just that, that ended up being the conflict between, you know, why the, the thing that had just worked last week was now no longer working. Uh, it, it sent me, you know, in a tailspin for two days trying to figure this stupid thing out. And yet that will, that will never get captured. It was not, I didn't listen in a bug. I never did it anywhere. Like we need our systems to be reproducible all the way down as far as we possibly can. And we will never get to hundred percent because there are human beings and human beings are not reproducible, but we need them to get to like 80, 90% like of the entire platform is reproducible. Now you say like, well, why is this the next big thing? Because it touches everything that we just talked about. How do you roll out your apps? How do you like reproduce logs? How do you share and collaborate? Uh, going back to the Kubeflow days, like I had this dream where people would publish their entire ML pipeline, including um, their, their, their past experiments, the hash of the data, 
the the uh, infrastructure, the drivers, everything they've talked about, push that all into a paper and then let me reproduce from that paper. Uh, and I think that, you know, we are, are closer than we've ever been. Um, uh, things like content addressed IDs and so on give us like a, a terrific like angle there. And there are lots of people working on it. I will say, you know, Bakayao offers more reproducibility than ever. Like we are like, um, uh, you know, much further along. But even then, you know, we still allow the use of non-reproducible artifacts. Uh, and again, because you can't solve for that, what we needed to do is not solve for it, but just encapsulate and say, hey, by the way, this thing right here is not, re you know, it's not, it's not a de deterministic um, artifact. Just be aware. Like when you start your debugging because this thing is falling apart, start here because everything else is good. Uh, even if we got there, uh, I think things would be, you know, in, in a much bigger, uh, better state. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and I'm an orchestration geek. So for me, I love orchestration. I've worked on projects that, you know, on Action Orchestrator, which was our orchestration engine at Cisco. Um, but to me, I, I have the same dream. And it's funny, you know, I see like people and this, this is solving a different niche than yours. But if you go back to your chef days, you know, now Adam Jacobs is creating system initiative, yep. which, which I think is really cool. They're solving yep. it in a different way. You know, I still have the question of whether the diehard people will want a graphical interface, you know, to do something. Oh, come on. You know, <laughs> you know him. He will never ship that thing without a CLI. Never. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but I think it's a really interesting project. It's one that I'm definitely following. Absolutely. Have you know, Absolutely. I, I love to I see mean, these. I want to credit, you know, again, I, I, I really don't like, you know, shitting on anyone and I really want to credit, you know, Hashi with, with Terraform, but I will be yeah. honest with you. It is not my preferred style no. because of the hidden state. So for your, for your user or for your viewers who haven't seen it, like one thing that a lot of people don't realize with Hashi or with, with Terraform is that all the state of your system is stored in a set of files, mm -hmm. which in my mind is super broken. Again, I use Terraform all the time. I just am not a fan of this style. Like the source of truth should be in one place. And that one place in my mind should be the cloud. And there should be a way to, for it to enforce the clouds to say, hey, here's the state of my system. Or you should build a layer that does that. But the idea that you're representing this state in this file, like is super broken. Now, I will say, I've talked to Adam many times uh, since he got this thing underway and he shares my vision and he's gonna do this. He's gonna figure out how to communicate with the clouds and like represent this, not maintain any external state. Uh, Cause I think that will make a huge, um, a huge difference towards this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I, my dream is like I said, reproducibility, every layer so that yeah. you you have this description of what you did i don't even care you don't even need it to be reproducible on the way in that's fine but you then output and say here's exactly everything i did and then i can use that i don't know maybe like one thing we do with bakayao is like you run your job and then we give you a way to export the res the, the job as it was constructed like so the the, the original job is very short it's easy to spin up and like so on. But then we do a bunch of like templatized blowout on the other side to like fill it all in. Once it once that's there, there's your archive of exactly what happened. And you can actually take that and make that an input to the next thing. You're gonna have to drop some 
fields that are not reproducible, but you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, I want every system to be like that. I should be yeah. able to query AWS right now and get a state of every one of my machines in a format that would allow me to create the exact state that exists right now somewhere else. That's uh, kind of like crossplane. I mean, you're using absolutely. Kubernetes, you know, but absolutely. yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I use crossplane these days more than I use Terraform just because I like, <laughs> I like crossplane. I don't know. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I've, I've seen a bunch of these different things. I am, uh, uh, I, I keep meaning the poke at Pulumi. Um, yeah. I, I know so many people there and, and uh, a lot of people who are like, this is terrific. Uh, I, uh, what's another one I've seen uh, tilt, I think is, is, uh, dancing around there. Uh, I've heard about crossplane, but I, I was not aware. I, I need something more general back. runs on Kubernetes and runs with Kubernetes, but we also don't need Kubernetes. Uh, and so we need something that kind of like bridges everything. Now, all yeah. of our stuff is written in Terraform and, and, uh, uh, we have a significant number of efforts to reduce that to as small as humanly possible. Again, not because we don't like Terraform. We, it's not that reason. It's because we need this to be reproducible. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we only have a few minutes left. Are we going to see you at a, maybe at a talk or anything in KubeCon Paris coming up? Uh, so I, uh, for all of you out there that, um, uh, <laughs> are sad that you get rejected. I get rejected all the time. Uh, I, I, I keynoted, I think, six different KubeCons, uh, and now I can't even get a talk in, so uh, it happens to everyone. I will absolutely be there, yeah. um, and I'm more than happy to talk, uh, and I, I give talks. I just gave a talk in uh, Open Source Summit in Japan, uh, which was great, um, and uh, yeah, we'll continue to talk about the the, the good word around reproducibility and Bakayao and and so on. Uh, but absolutely, find me, come talk to me. If you're remotely in this area, uh, you have distributed data, you have distributed compute, you want to talk reproducibility or ML, uh, I would love to help you um, uh, in any way, either as a consumer of our stuff or, or as a new, new project in the space. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, reach you, learn more about, and I'll put it in the show notes too, but where yeah, can yeah, you yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm everywhere. It's just, uh, my last name, uh, for everything. Um, uh, so on Twitter, on blue sky, on, uh, Instagram, whatever you name it, like it's my last name. Uh, and, um, and the, the easiest way to get in touch with me, um, uh, I'm in all day is, uh, our Slack. Uh, so you go to bakayao.org. Um, our how to join the Slack is right there, and uh, I'm in there um, uh, way, way, way too much. Uh, you feel free to reach out um, and come check out the project. Let us know uh, what your thoughts are and if we can help. Well, thanks so much. We'll have to grab a beer when 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 I'm in Paris, and uh, I would you love know, that. See you there, and uh, you know, good luck. Awesome. Thank you so much, right. and really appreciate being on. This is wonderful. Yeah, same here. Okay, talk to you later.